We're glad you're here today. Are you glad to be here? Uh, those of you that are joining us from the Outdoor Sabbath School, that was quite, a, quite an event, wasn't it? Wow, that was, I saw trains and train whistles and all kinds of great stuff over there. I heard there was quite a song service going on too, some singing and fun and dancing and all sorts of stuff, so us old people over here missed out. Well, what I saw was great, so thank you all for planning it, and I hope kids, you had a blessed time, and look forward to the next one. Tell people about it, and uh, would you agree that that's something that we all need to tell people that would benefit from it about, have kids, neighbors, friends, family members, is that something we should tell people about? Absolutely, so um, let's plan to spread the word when we get the next one planned. Well, we are... Uh, in a sermon series called, So I'm a Christian, Now What? And we've been talking about what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, a follower of Jesus. You've come to the place where uh, you've, you've connected with Christ. You might be saying, what do, now what do I do? Or maybe you're a person who's been a believer for a long time, and you need a revival in your spiritual life. And you're at a crossroads, and this sermon series is for you. And the first sermon in our series, now first service did pretty well answering this question, uh, but what was the first message in our series? Do you remember? Oh, you all fail. The first service got this right away. What was our first message? Take Jesus with you, that's right. Take your dirt with you, remember? We talked about Elisha and Naaman, and he asked to take two bags of dirt with him, and and we talked about how it's so necessary not to just you know, take Jesus with us to church or in our morning devotions or little parts of the day. Everywhere we go and every moment, it's important to take the Lord with us. And then number two, this was a little harder for first service, but they got this one too. What was our second message? Do you remember? It was on wisdom. Biblical wisdom. And the Bible defines wisdom how? Do you remember? Oh, Jesus, thank you, Gabriel. Jesus, the Bible literally says the wisdom of God is Jesus. And uh, we talked about how important it is for his followers, his disciples, to look at this world, to interpret this world, to see the world through the context of the person of Jesus Christ so that we won't rely on our own feelings or emotions, we won't rely on our own perceptions, our own worldviews, We'll see the world as God sees it by looking through Jesus. Amen? It's so vitally important so that we can live wise and uh, good lives according to the Lord, not with our eyes, but with His, seeing as He sees through Jesus. Then Pastor Jaime took over, and he talked about being humble and being a learner and how uh, uh, the definition, one of the definitions of being a disciple is being a learner. That literally is what the word means. And he talked about how uh, being a learner also means being an unlearner. You agree with me on that one? You agree with us on that one? Absolutely. Anybody who learns continuously through life, you realize that as you continue to learn and grow in wisdom, you realize that you have to unlearn a whole bunch of things in order to soak in what's actually true. Because, you know, our backgrounds, where we grow up, the things that we've learned, the things that we've experienced, form one sort of opinion about the world and everything in it. And then when we're looking at the world through Jesus, we realize, oh, wow, 
what I thought about what I thought isn't necessarily what I should have thought. Are you all awake here? All right. And then last week, Johnny Cash walked out on the stage, if you remember, on the platform. And uh, also, I don't know who the other guy was, but it was Pastor Jaime in an all-white suit and white shoes. And uh, Pastor Brent walked out in all black. And they talked to us about appreciating one another. Truly seeking to know someone else and where they're coming from. Appreciating each other and being supportive of each other's approaches and uh, ideology and their thinking and, and their backgrounds and, and maybe sometimes even wearing somebody else's hat and shoes once in a while. Amen? That's so important for the life of a Christian, for a follower of Jesus. And today, oh, there's a few different themes, titles I could have come up with. Uh, one was, and it's in your bulletin, What the World Needs Now, which is what we're going to share. Another title, which may catch you off guard based on that other one, is Holiness. Biblical holiness. And a lot of people, traditional Christians, love this theme. Holiness. What does it mean to be holy? What does it mean to be a follower of the Lord? Of course it means being holy. Well, what is biblical holiness? Let's ask that question first. Uh, people that are holy, there's a term that's been used throughout the ages to refer to people that are holy people that we think of, and that's the term saint. You know that term? You familiar with that term? In the Catholic tradition, that means that you led an exemplary life of service to the Lord and to the church, and that you did certain things, and then you died, and you went to heaven, and you're in heaven, and then a miracle is attributed to you and your work. That's not really the way the Bible looks at a saint. The Bible actually says the church is full of saints. What do I mean by that? There's a bunch of verses that I could have taken us to, but I want to take us to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 21. Uh, this is Paul's sort of final greetings in his letter to the church at Philippi, and this is how he greets the church. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you according to uh, greet you especially those of Caesar's household the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So does that mean that all of the saints that have ever lived in Christianity were in the church of Philippi and in Caesar's household? Is that what that means? No, that's not what that means. Paul is referring to all the members of the church in Philippi and those of Caesar's household as what? saints. So as you look around this church here this morning, you see faces you know, guess what you get to refer to them as? Saints. Now you might be thinking, that guy's not a saint. You're not thinking that at all, are you? Maybe you're thinking that about yourself. Well, I'm no saint. Well, the Lord calls you a saint. How about that? We are saints of the Lord. We are His. It's a truly an amazing thing. And the thing about becoming a saint, we're going to find this here in just a moment, it's not because of anything we've done or we've earned. We are saints of the Lord simply because He calls us that. Now what does the word saint mean? Well, it comes from the same root word as the word we get holy from. Holy. It comes from the same root word that we get 
sanctified from. We're familiar, some of us are familiar with that term, sanctified. The Lord sanctified the seventh day, and we've defined that other ways, and we've said, uh, you know, he set it aside for a holy purpose. So a saint is someone that's set aside for holiness. A saint is someone who is holy. How does that sit with you now? Do you like to be termed as someone who is holy? Come on, answer, nod, shake your head, use your voice. It's, it's kind of a solemn thought, isn't it? It's a strange thought. Uh, but what we need to recognize and understand is that when we become Christians, when we become followers of Jesus and we say, yes, Jesus, you died for me, you came from heaven, you died for me, um, for my sins, and, and, and I, I receive you as my Savior, we're adopted into the family of God. And to be adopted into the family of God means that we're set right with God and we are holy. Again, it's not because you did anything to earn it, we are holy simply because God says we are. Nobody wants to say amen to that. It's a truly amazing thought. What a wonderful gift from the Lord. Holiness, His righteousness, His holiness is put upon us. He gives it to us. He trades places with us. Now you might be thinking, well, that does, does that mean we've got it all together? No, of course not. There's a lot of things to work on in our lives, and the Lord works on us in that way. But we can have the assurance that we're part of the family of God. We are His saints because we are connected to Him. And that's what a saint truly is. Someone who is connected to the Lord Jesus through a relationship. And He gives us His holiness. So, we can start greeting each other with, Hello, saints. Hello, saints. Other people might think we're a little odd, but that's the biblical definition. A follower of Jesus is called a saint. But it, we struggle with this because when we think of holiness, we think of God's character, don't we? And when we think of God's character, we think of some ways to sort of determine what His will is or, or who He is or what, how He wants us to live. And we ask ourselves the question, well, how do I know how he wants me to live? If I'm a saint, how do I know how he wants me to live? And we often turn to that thing called God's law, don't we? His law. We say his law is a communication of his character, who God is. His law is an explanation of how life is supposed to be lived. His law is a, is a reflection of a holy way of life. And we have to testify and agree, yes, that's true. That's true. But again, it's not how we attain holiness. We become holy because we're adopted into the family of God through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen? And He calls us holy. But then we look to the law and say, okay, Lord, I'm part of your family. How am I supposed to navigate this sinful world? That's what the law is for. And if we had to sort of sum it all up into one phrase or one concept. And, you know, we know that's why Jesus came also for the same purpose as the law, to show us who God really is, to show us how to navigate this world, to reveal God's true character. That's why Jesus came. And if we had to boil 
the life of Christ down to one little idea or concept, if we had to boil the law down to one little idea or concept, what would it be? I think some of you are on the right track. Let's let's go to uh, Galatians chapter 5. Now, Galatians was written by Paul. And if you know anything about Paul, his name used to be Saul. And he was the law keeper of law keepers. He crossed all his T's, dotted all his I's in the law. He was obedient. He was the law keeper of law keepers. And uh, nobody did it better than Paul until he came and he realized what the law really was and what it was for. And he realized the thing that, and he said this, the thing that I thought brought me life, trying to live up to the law's standard, actually brought me death. It showed me how far off I really was. He heard the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount and realized that the holy life isn't just about certain behaviors you do or don't do, things that you try to avoid. That's not really what a holy life is. A holy life is connect, connection with the Lord, and a holy life is um, all-encompassing issue of sin and living for love, as some of you said. Let's go to Galatians chapter 5. Paul sums it all up into one thing. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. For you were called to what? Freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, and I'm going to save that for just a second. Well, I'll say it. Serve one another. But I want you to see this for just a second. He says, look, you've been called saints. You've been called holy. You're adopted into the family of God and you are holy. You are free. We're part of God's family. Amen? There's nothing, anything can do, anything can be done to change that fact. But the point is here, he says, don't take it for granted. Don't take it for granted. Because just saying, well, I'm part of God's family and he loves me, we shouldn't use that as an excuse to just go against everything that he stands for. Does that make sense to everybody? Yes or no? Don't take it for granted. Don't take it lightly. Take on the name of Jesus as Christian and live for the freedom and the goodness and the truth that he lived for. And he defines that. He further defines that. He says, you shall serve one another. Verse 14, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And again, if we looked at it, if we looked at the life of Jesus, if, if uh, you were sort of an outside observer, you didn't know much about Christianity, you just looked at the life of Christ, what he taught, what he stood for, and what he did, I think that would be the one thing that all of us could see and observe from Jesus, wouldn't it? He lived to give his life and to serve. Amen? And and as we look at the character of God through Jesus, that's what God wants us to recognize and understand. And really, that's the one thing that separates God and his ways from the world and its ways. The world teaches us to live for ourselves, to protect ourselves, to defend ourselves. To live for ourselves, to try to um, uh, prosper ourselves. And by trying to prosper, we push down others, don't we? 
I mean, in a way, that's kind of what capitalism is all about. And communism ends up the same way, too. It's just, it's human nature for us to push each other down in order to get ahead. It's the world that we're living in. And so Jesus came to show us a different kind of way. Serve and love one another. You know, sadly, we've gotten to the place where people think that they can find that more outside the church than they can find it inside. You know, that's really what people are longing for in this day and age. They're longing for someone to love and care for them. But for some reason, and some by our own actions, and some by misconceptions about the church, people that don't come to the church, that aren't part of the family of God, they, they've gotten this idea that they can find selflessness outside the church more than they can find it inside the church. That's a sad fact, isn't it? They can find connection outside the church more than they can, they can find it here. And usually as Christians, uh, we, we blame it on, well, you know, the church doesn't entertain people like the world does. It doesn't, you know, offer this or offer that. That's why people go outside the church to, to find this kind of community. But when you talk to people, it's not that they're spiritually closed off. They have this idea, many of them, that the church doesn't offer what they're really looking for in the context of love and connection. So here, Paul gives us a really interesting definition of the law and what a saint is, someone who lives for holiness. A saint is a person who lives life with arms open wide. You believe that today? A saint is a person who lives life with arms open wide, who is connected through a relationship with Jesus and lives as Jesus lived, to serve one another with arms open wide. And can you see how this stands in stark contrast to the world? The world teaches us to live life like this. Doesn't it? It teaches us, number one, anybody that's familiar with boxing at all, boxers hold their elbows close to their body. Do you know why? Because those elbows protect your, your kidneys and your vital organs. A boxer will tell you one of the best ways to knock out your opponent is by going after those sides, those lungs, those kidneys, those internal organs. And so boxers, when they're covering up, they keep their, their elbows in. And the world teaches us that we have to because it's a scary place and it's full of sin and we're going to get hurt. And, and people are out to get us. And so we, we live life like this. And when a person can live life like this, it really stands out. Think back to the people in your life that you would refer to as a saint. Wouldn't a life like this really be how you'd describe them? They loved big they loved with their arms wide open. And you know, there's something really powerful about the fact when Christians can live with arms wide open because we're called into something called the church, the fellowship of believers, amen? Now, if we all as, as, as believers, because of our connection with Jesus, 
live with arms wide open. And we stand shoulder to shoulder. So there's a person here next to me, and there's another person here next to me, and we all live with arms wide open. What do we do? Think about that. Well, this arm is protecting the vital organs of the person next to me. And this arm is protecting the organs of the, the pers- vital organs of the person on the other side of me. And these two people, their two arms are crossing in the front of me to protect mine. Isn't that a beautiful picture? The church is a place where we can live with arms wide open to welcome the weary traveler and to protect the vulnerabilities of our brothers and sisters. That's the church in motion. That's the kind of place that people who, don't, who are not part of the church, they want to be part of that. They want to be part of a place like that where they can come and be open and be themselves and be accepted and loved and cared for and feel safe. But sadly, the impression that we've given people and often by our own action, we say, yes, I'll love you like this as long as you can pass through a tunnel that is this wide. As long as you say and do the right things and worship the right way and, 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 and act a certain way and dress a certain way, if you can pass through my arms that are this wide, I'll embrace you like this. That's the impression that we've given to people. Maybe we've done it in our own selves and the things that we, that we try to do. And interestingly enough, in Galatians, Paul says the same thing. He says, verse 14, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Verse 15, But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. What ends up happening is that when we are not living the life of this kind of a disciple, we start to do this. Because what happens is we begin to bite and punch each other. And we begin to injure and damage one another. And so the church that was this was open and and, and honest and free and vulnerable and loving. Now we've taught ourselves to have to duck and cover. To protect ourselves because we've been hurt. And you can feel those kinds of churches. You ever visited a church where you just walk in and you go, something's not right here. You can just feel it. And and there's a lot of churches out there like that. There's Christians, individual Christians, where you just, you can feel that. It's It's like a dark cloud that follows them around where... You, you don't feel like you can be this around them. Because sooner or later, you're going to have to do this. So, Scripture tells us that being a saint and being holy means to live to serve others. Lives a life with arms wide open. Amen? And the beauty of the church is that being part of the church family allows you and me individually to live like this Because we know the people next to us will be guarding our vital organs. We can trust them to not punch us in the kidneys. 
We can trust them to not bite us in the back. You know, in, in Scripture, it's really interesting. Uh, Paul, especially when he's giving instructions to the church, yes, he's, he's concerned with sins and, and sinful lifestyle and, and the, the, in the people, but he's more concerned with selfishness. And, and when he's talking about church discipline, he's awful, often saying, look, if you're living for this persistently and it's affecting the church, you're not looking out for your brother, you're looking out for yourself. And, and we have to be really honest, and sometimes churches have to go through the painful process of casting sheep that bite out of the fold. You understand what I'm saying by that? And that's actually what Paul, the, the, the concept that Paul uses here. He says, but if you bite and devour one another, that comes from, uh, you know, I once heard a preacher say, you know, Adventists are often vegetarians, but they can also be cannibals. Because we eat each other for lunch. And that's true of any church. It's not just Adventist churches. We, we often will bite and try to devour each other and, and we're consumed by one another. But he, this bite and devour, it comes from shepherding. Because occasionally uh, among the flock, there would be sheep that would actually go around and, and bite the other sheep and, and damage and hurt the other sheep. And a good shepherd can't allow that sheep that's damaging the other sheep to continue to be part of the flock. Do you agree? And, and that means that we as a church have to stand for the standard that says we will be a people that, that protects the vital organs of our brothers and sisters. And so scripture gives us this wonderful uh, process that says if a person is injuring other brothers and sisters in the fold, go to them and, and tell them their error. And if they persist, take others with you. And if they still persist, what does the Bible say to do? To cast them out. You see, for me as a pastor, it's a lot less the sinfulness in your life than it is whether you come to this place being willing to be a person to cover the organs of the person next to you. You see, because the Lord through the Holy Spirit will deal with our inner stuff. And he'll deal with it through the family. I've seen it time and time and time again. When a person is part of the family, God deals with sin. Paul says, beware of the person that sins outwardly and makes a show of it. Because you know that if a person's making a show of outward sin, they're not there to cover their brother. They're there to prove a point. You with me? And so, my friends, sometimes churches have to go through the process of recognizing that there are some who bite and devour and punch the kidneys of the person next to them. And you have to go through that painful process of saying, you can't be part of our family because our, our family is about living life with arms wide open, covering the vital organs of the person next to me. And I guarantee you, when we live for that standard, our arms are open to embrace the weary traveler because you and I get tired out there, don't we? When you're, when you're living life like this, out in that world, 
you are going to get injured. You're going to get hurt. And we need sometimes to be able to come in here limping and cut and bleeding to have the church embrace us. We should never make someone feel like they come in here and they have to duck and cover and experience more pain. If we're going to live like Jesus with arms wide open, we have to be able to embrace the weary traveler. Isn't that the kind of church you want to be? Isn't that the kind of saint you want to be? And this is biblical sainthood. Connection to the Lord and a life lived with arms that grow wider and wider and wider, ready to embrace people who need You know, Paul didn't get this concept about how the law is fulfilled from anywhere strange. He gets it from Jesus. And in Mark chapter 12 and verse 29, uh, we hear Jesus' words. And this is in a section in my Bible that says the greatest commandment. And in Mark 12, 29, it says, Jesus answered, the most important commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. That's where Paul got that concept. Be connected to the Lord. And as we're connected to the Lord, we love bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And it's really interesting, as we said a minute ago, the people that have loved the biggest are the people that we would describe as saints. Because we can sense in them God's character, God's love flowing through them and they've affected our lives that way. May we live that same way, amen? A saint is someone who loves God with all their hearts and loves their neighbor too. Now here's the thing. There is a difference between loving someone and tolerating someone. This is an important concept. Because usually, because of our selfish nature, we don't love people for their sake. We love people for our sake. Maybe giving you an example. I'm kind to my neighbor. I'm not saying this is real life. I'm just using this as an example. I'm kind to my neighbor because it's beneficial to me so that we can get along. If I'm unkind to my neighbor, we may start a feud, and that will make my life miserable. So I love my neighbor, not for his sake. I love my neighbor for mine. And that's usually the way most of our relationships go. We see that come in to Scripture immediately when sin enters the human race. From a perfect connection with Adam and Eve, like... Uh, that perfect heart and mind connection that God gave us just like he enjoys in the Godhead, now all of a sudden we have Adam and Eve. Sin comes in and Eve becomes a means to an end or an object. First off, Adam can't imagine his life without her. In other words, no longer is God his contentment. Eve is. My salvation is the love and the, the relationship I have with Eve, so I'll turn my back on God and I'll choose to eat that fruit. But when sin enters immediately, what happens? Now Adam tries to use Eve as a way to get the blame off from him. Because he says, that woman you gave me caused me to eat. 
And so, yeah, Adam loved having Eve around, but it was only for his own benefit. And this is the, often the way we look at love. What I get out of this relationship. So I will be loving to this person in order for, for my own greater good. We need to learn how to love someone for their sake. <laughs> and that's a higher level of love. That's the kind of love that Married couples begin to experience late in their marriage and they begin to learn it. Early on, it's for my sake, what I get out of this. And as you mature and you grow and you learn, you, you love that person for who they are. You love that person and appreciate them for what they've done. And you want to pour out your love for their sake, not just for your own. And isn't it interesting that... <laughs> This is the kind of love that God is calling all of us to in the church and as his saints and everyone. That, that's, that's the life that Jesus lived, isn't it? Jesus loved people for their sake, not for his. He came and gave his life for us and he would gain nothing out of it except extreme suffering and death. He loved us for our sake. We need to love people for their sake and not ours. Arms that grow wider and wider in love, ready to embrace. The world teaches this differently. It teaches us to duck and cover and be ready to strike at any moment. We really see this in, in social media. That's why so many people get into arguments and conflicts in social media. Because that conflict is right there in us. And all of us, I've done it, you've done it. That conflict is right there in all of us. And it's easier to act on it because it feels more anonymous. You're not there face to face with the person. You're, you're, you don't have to see them. Some of, them. some of the people we don't even know because they're a friend of a friend who commented on a friend's post. But that conflict, because this is what the world teaches us, I've got to tell you something. Boy, God forbid that we've done that as Christians and especially Seventh-day Adventists. Believe what I'm telling you. That's what we've done. It's right there in all of us because it's what the world teaches us. The world teaches us this and God's trying to teach us this. And, and Jesus has something powerful to say in John chapter 15. John chapter 15 and verse 12 some of his final words to his disciples, says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. There it is. That's not loving someone for our sake. It's loving them for their sake. Greater love is no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Whew. Now, few of us will ever be called to actually die for someone else. But you know what? We sure can lay aside ourselves for someone else. And when it comes to conflicts and things in the church, often these conflicts are over preference and tradition. Like we said, I'll love you like this as long as you can pass through this very narrow view of what I see as appropriate in the church and what I see as holy and 
what I see is right, or someone out there in the world, the same thing, I'll love you like this if you can pass through a tunnel that's this wide. You see, loving someone means to lay aside, aside what you think sometimes is appropriate, what you think sometimes is right, what your preferences are, what your traditions are, what your cultures are, what your perspectives are. Laying that aside to open up your arms to receive someone as they are. We love to sing just as I am. And then yet we turn to someone who's looking for Christ and say, as long as you become just as I am, then he will accept you. You hearing what I'm saying there? When the Lord's saying to us, open your arms wide and receive them just as they are. And the family of God will embrace them and the Lord will change them. Bring them in. Guard their vital organs. They will grow and they will mature. The church is powerful. It's why the, the world needs the church. It's why our brothers and sisters who have been work, watching online for months now and haven't been with us, you need this place. You need this family because you can't live out there on your own in this world. People say, oh, I can just worship on my own. No, you can't because you can't live life like this without the protection of the family. You won't even be able to perceive it, but the Lord is calling us to live life like this. But as long as you're out there on your own, not with the family of God, you will slowly bring those elbows in and you won't even recognize it. But soon you'll look like this. You've got to have the family so that you can open up wider and wider and wider in love. Jesus said, lay aside ourselves and the only way that we as Christians be, can become a wide-open Christian and we can become a wide-open church and, and be known as a saint is to be able to lay aside, lay aside sometimes our opinions, lay aside our traditions to embrace the weary traveler as they are. And I guarantee you, if we become that kind of a Christian, if we pursue that kind of sainthood, this will be a place that the world says, people out there say, I've got to be there. Because they have something that nowhere, nothing else offers anywhere in this whole world. Love loves for someone else's sake. In a world where everyone is walking around covering themselves for, for protection, what happens when we open our arms like Jesus did on Calvary's cross? We get beat up and we get scarred, don't we? You know, as Jesus was hanging on the cross, he died, and a soldier came along, he took a spear. He thrust it in Jesus' side, probably just below his ribs, up into his cavity, body cavity there. And some of you know what came out. Water and blood. And to this day, the medical books will tell you that when water and blood comes out of a body like that, it's because someone's heart has burst. Someone's heart has burst. And, you know, 
Jesus could have taken his arms from being wide open, off those nails, ducked and covered, and defended himself. When the sins of the world were coming upon him, when, when the angry shouts from the crowd, when the soldiers were beating him, when he could have ducked and covered. But he continued to open up his arms wider and wider, and there was no one there to cover his vital organs. And so sin continued to beat on him and batter him. Selfishness took body blow after body blow. Hatred and prejudice and anger and selfishness battered him and battered him and battered him. And the thing that happened to him is what would happen to you and me if we were to live life like this without anyone to cover our vital organs in this world. It would break our heart. But Jesus didn't take his, his hands off from that cross. He didn't close his arms and cover himself. He didn't act out in force against what was happening to him. He took on the sin of the world, the hatred of the world, the, my sins and yours, our suffering, our, our addictions, our, our issues. He took on all of those things so that we can live life like this and in freedom and so that we can selflessly love each other enough to stand shoulder to shoulder with our arms open wide covering the vital organs of the person standing next to us. That's why he died on Calvary's cross, so that we might live a life of freedom with arms held wide open and be part of a family that's empowered to open our arms wide to welcome in the weary traveler and to hold our arms out to protect our brothers and sisters next to us. That's the life of a saint. Often we turn to Fox's Book of Martyrs to see what saints are like. But my friends, what we've been called to is no different. No, maybe we won't face a fiery stake. But what we've been called to do is stand up for the life of the person next to us. The life of a saint, according to Scripture, is a life of full connection and devotion to Jesus and a life of love when your arms open wider and wider and wider to embrace. And as we stand shoulder to shoulder, side by side, those wide open arms protect the per person next to us. Friends, I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> it might seem odd, but you want to be that kind of saint? An arms-wide-open saint? Do we want to be a church full of people who live life like this? Are we willing to be able to stand up and make sure that our family, all of our family, can live life with arms wide open, vulnerable to one another, not letting people punch and bite and kick us where it hurts. Are you willing to do that? You see, God is calling 
us to be a dynamic family, to provide the kind of thing that the whole world is longing for. Not just what the world's looking for, it's what you and I need, because the world is scary. It's troublesome. It's dark and it's dying. And we've got to have each other. And I need you to cover me and you need me to cover you. The time of, be- time of being the lone wolf is over. It's time to be the church. It's time to be the saints of God. If that's your desire, would you stand with me as we have closing prayer? Father in heaven, we think back to Calvary's cross. We think back to Jesus. Lord, he could have took his arms off from that cross and covered himself and even gone on the offensive that was totally within his power and his right, but Lord, he didn't. He left his arms wide open and he took on every blow that sin could offer. And he took it on, Lord, to free us from it. To make us holy, to connect us with you. And to free us, to free us up to be arms wide open followers of you. And we're standing today, Lord, because that's the kind of saint that we want to be. An arms wide open saint. The kind of person that is ready to embrace the weary traveler. And also the kind of person that's willing to cover the vital organs of the person next to us. Lord, this is the church in action. This is the power of the church. This is what we are called to. Forgive us for not being that in the past. May you empower us, Lord, to move forward as arms open wide saints. Thank you for this wonderful gift. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.